Now let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our readings today are from the New Revised Standard Version Bible, and we begin with a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 50. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, and finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our next reading for today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Look, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our final reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first married, and when he died, left no children. And the second married the widow and died, leaving no children. And the third, likewise, none of the seven left children. Last of all, the woman herself died. And the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Is not this the reason you are wrong, that you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when people rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the story about the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is God, not of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. We come today to a cluster of questions that I grouped together under the heading of Heaven is. 
These are some difficult questions, and I've tried to gather up all of them into one, because there's been a handful of different questions, all under the same umbrella. So if I missed one, please let me know. But I'm hoping this will cover a large swath of things that I have been asked. Part of the problem we run into is a lack of detail about the hereafter. We want to know as much as we can about what's in store in heaven. And this becomes difficult because of the fact that we have a lot of questions, and we expect there to be answers. But one of the issues we run into is that the kingdom of heaven is often referred to in various terms, but when heaven is described and what things will be like, we're often given what it's similar to, but not what it is. Part of the problem with that is that we go looking for answers and sometimes we will find the answers we want to hear outside the Bible. And I didn't include any of that in here because I'm trying to keep things strictly to what we are told in Scripture for this particular question. The reason for that is that there are a lot of books that talk about what heaven is like and what things will be like when we get there. But they take a lot of liberties with putting forward what amounts to a guess as the one true answer. There are also a lot of questionable books from people who claim to have witnessed what heaven is like. For me, the most interesting part of all of those books is just how little any two agree with each other. Meaning you either have to pick one and decide that it is the right one, or wonder why they don't agree. Because of that, I'm not including anything that comes from outside sources. And you'd be surprised at how much outside sources influence our views. Dante alone has given us a majority of the imagery that we have about the afterlife. Because of that, I'm trying to only convey what we do find in Scripture. Our first reading gives us an idea of why it's so difficult to get answers. In Matthew's Gospel account, we have Christ talking about how the kingdom of heaven is like various things, like a treasure hidden in a field, like a merchant in search of fine pearls, like a net thrown into the sea that caught fish of every kind. And there's more than just these, but I included these just to give a brief overview of the different comparisons that are made as some of the few statements that we ever get in regards to heaven. And even with these, it could be argued that these are about what it's like to be in God's kingdom and presence, but not necessarily what heaven will be like for us after death. To which I would say, yes, that's a valid point. One that underscores just how hard it is sometimes to find answers to some questions that we have. Everything we are given talks about how good it is, 
but there's few details about what it really is. And that becomes an issue in trying to describe what heaven will be like. We know it'll be good. We know it'll be in God's presence. It'll be free from struggle and pain. And these are things we find in the Bible. But it can be difficult when we're looking for more specific answers. But I think there is a reason why we have so little. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a few other statements that we do have from the Bible. One of our other readings is from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Paul is trying to flesh out an understanding for the church there. And there will always be debate over how to read Paul, but I think Paul gives us an interesting insight with this reading. Because what Paul admits to is a mystery. He says that what is perishable will become imperishable. The mortal body puts on immortality and death is no more. Part of the reason I highlight the mystery is that Paul's also proclaiming that he doesn't fully understand it himself. But he does his best to explain it. What Paul does understand is that we become like Christ. And that seems to be enough for Paul. In our final reading, the Sadducees come to pose a question to Christ. It is not a question in good faith, but one meant to try to make him look foolish. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they decide to pose what is supposed to be a very tricky question. Now, in case you did not know what they are referring to, I'll include a little history here. There is a law in Deuteronomy that basically says if a man dies childless, his brother is supposed to marry the widow in order to give her a child to be the heir of the dead brother's household. I have touched on this law before when discussing Christ's genealogy and the story of Tamar. In this question, the Sadducees take this idea to the extreme with seven brothers. If the woman is married to each of them, whose wife will she be after the resurrection? In his answer, Christ both defends the idea of the resurrection and clarifies a misconception about the afterlife. In the resurrection, there will not be people given in marriage, nor will they marry, but they will be like the angels in heaven. This is not terribly descriptive either. But it gives us some insight. The first point is to note that Jesus uses the comparison of like angels and not that we become angels. That is to clear up a question on if we become angels when we die. We are like angels in that we are in the presence of God, but we are not told that we become angels. We are human, but changed. Part of the mystery Paul was looking at. We are no longer mortal, and in that we could draw a comparison to angels, but we are never told that we become angels. We seem to remain humankind, just different. And looking at that idea of change brings us to another question related to how we change. Will we recognize each other in heaven? According to Christ, people will no longer be husband and wife. That type of commitment is no more. But will we still know each other? This can be a little tricky because the answer is more implied than flat out stated in Scripture. 
I firmly believe that we will be able to recognize each other. But I don't know exactly how, because the Bible implies that we will be reunited and recognize each other. And I'm reminded of the transfiguration for an example of this. The disciples of Jesus recognized Moses and Elijah, though they'd never seen them before. This is just one instance out of many that refers to how we will recognize each other and be joined together again, but I used this one because it helps us to posit that even if we don't physically recognize each other, we can still know each other. And if we can recognize each other, if it's not from physical looks, but spiritually know one another, then yes, we will know each other. Because I don't know what a mortal body turned immortal looks like. I don't know if we will be changed to the point that we don't look the same. Or at what age we might look if we did look the same. I don't know what it'll be like. And I don't know what it'll look like. And I know that can be a bit of a disappointing answer. I don't know what it will be like in heaven. Or what it won't be like. I wish I could tell you whether or not pets will be there. As it's another area the Bible is silent on. I can't tell you what activities we'll take part in. We simply don't have much to go on. And you might feel that as a rather common refrain when discussing life eternal. You'd be right. But I think there's a reason for that. You'll notice I didn't include any of the descriptions from Revelation. This is due to the difficulty in knowing what is supposed to be symbolic and what is meant to be literal, which is a problem with almost the entire book of Revelation. If you were with me for our study on Revelation, you'll understand the complexity of all of the numbers that go into it, the measurements, and the imagery and the ways that it can play out is not so much literal but figurative. And because of that debate, it can give us descriptions, but I would be remiss to put them forward as exact details and not symbolism, much in the way that our heaven is statements in our reading from Matthew. It's hard to say. We may hear about the new Jerusalem come down, but I honestly couldn't tell you that it isn't a symbolic vision, especially given the use of numbers in that specific account. I don't know if the gold and the gems are figurative or literal, and if it applies to the heaven that we enter. There will always be debate over Revelation, and I'm happy to discuss it with you if you are looking for more detail about that. There are books I can point you to. There's information that I can impart. But there really is just too much information to go over for one sermon. And if you're with me for the study, you'll understand that there's likely a good half a year's worth or more that we could get into. But it is interesting that we have yet another symbolic description that seems to struggle to put into words what things will be like and what exactly will happen. 
The Bible is, in fact, silent on many of the issues of exactly what heaven will be. And the silence doesn't mean a yes or a no to many of our questions. The silence simply means that it was not a priority. Most of what we get is from Christ, and Christ's saving message is about our salvation. Which brings us to another point. Sometimes we get focused too much on heaven, and we begin to forget about this life because we are so focused on the next. In truth, Christianity has often struggled with keeping a focus on our lives here and now. We quickly become so interested in what comes next that we begin to lose focus on the main part of what Christ teaches us, which is how to live right now. We can lose track of what our salvation means today because we are so focused on what comes next and what it will be like. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have those questions. I think we all have them. But if we start to focus too much on those, we can get lost in that. And it reminds me of the opening from Jesus Christ Superstar, which says, Your followers are blind. Too much heaven on their minds. Because the church has often struggled with this. As we can become too focused on getting into heaven and not so much on the way we are to live this very life. But that's always been the focus of Scripture to tell us how to live this life. We are told how we can make the most in Christ with the life that we have by helping others and doing good. And I believe that's part of why we don't get any big descriptions of heaven. Christ's focus wasn't to let us know all about what comes next, but to teach us how to live this life to its fullest so we will be ready for what comes next. He gives us the idea of what comes next to relieve our anxieties not for it to become our goal or to cause us more anxiety. When we live out Christ's love in this life, it prepares our hearts and our souls for what does lie beyond. Christ offers us peace and comfort in not knowing because he tells us what we do need to know, that he will be with us, that there is a place for us, and that God's love will see us through. When we live our best life in this life, we prepare ourselves for that life. And you know, I don't know what it'll be like. But I can also accept that not only do I not need to know, but I might not be able to understand it if I did. At least not as I am. I'll I'll give you a comparison that I like to use. I often think it's not described because of how complicated and difficult it might be to understand as we are. And so I use the example of describing light. Now take just a moment and think about how you would describe light. We have light coming from all sorts of places. How do you describe it? Now if that wasn't tricky enough... (laughs) 
Scientifically, light is a massive scale, and we just see a sliver of it in the middle. How small of a sliver? We see about 0.0035% of light. And even that part we can see is hard to describe. Imagine if we could see 1% of light. We would need new words. We would need a new vocabulary of light to understand all of the facets. How much harder would it be to describe 20%? Let alone 100%. I don't even know where to begin. Because it is simply beyond my ability right now. When we visualize it, we turn it into the light we can see, which means that we're no longer seeing the original, we're seeing a representation. Something similar to, but not exactly it. Sound familiar? Maybe that's what it's like trying to describe heaven. To describe immortality to the mortal. I don't know what our bodies will be like, or what will be there, or who will be there exactly, what will happen. But I do trust in God's promises that it will be good, and that we will find joy everlasting. And that our mission now is to focus on living this life the best we can, and to help others live this life the best that they can. That this be a world of love that prepares us for the hereafter, but also makes this world a little bit more like God's kingdom. With the prayer, the two will simply be one. But until that day, I keep the hope of heaven in my heart, but I always act with the love of Christ to live this life the best I can, knowing that I don't have to have all the answers. Because what we do know is that Christ will be with us from here to there and forevermore to help us live this life the best we can and to let us know that it's okay not to know. So we may ponder that mystery, but let us do so with love in our hearts, preparing ourselves for that life by living this one to the fullest. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.